All right, Luke 5, did you find it? We have been teaching and looking and examining the subject of healing. In particular, answering the question, is healing the will of God? You know, many Christians believe that God is able to heal. They're just not sure He wants to heal them. And so we have been using as a scripture to start with here in Luke 5, chapter 12, 12, verse... I'll get it right eventually. (laughs) Chapter 5, verse 12. While he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had a serious skin disease all over him. Some translations say he was covered in leprosy. Now, you know, that's incurable. They had no known cure for it. He is, it's a death sentence to him. You are in a state of dying and body parts be die and then fall off and it's a disfiguring, dismembering, horrible, horrible disease. And so he's covered in this, probably pretty contagious. He saw Jesus, fell face down and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And that's the 2,000-year-old question we're answering. If you are willing. Well, is he willing? And we only need to read a verse further to see if he's willing or not. Verse 13, reaching out his hand, he touched him saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the disease left him. Then he ordered him to tell no one, but to go show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses prescribed for your cleansing as a testimony to them. There was a certain, we're actually going to read it later in the uh, service today, but there was a ceremony that they had to do at their healing that, that was required at the priest and then at the temple. It was a series of ceremonies that they had to do. And so we'll look at that a little bit further. We looked at 11 biblical reasons for why we believe that healing is the will of God. You know, we're not here to prove a case because of opinion. Because that's useless. Everyone has an opinion. What we're here to do is establish from Scripture, what does the Bible say about healing? What does the Bible say in particular about God's will to heal people? Is God sitting in heaven like getting emails? You know, when you pray and send an email up to the Lord and say, Lord, I need healing for this. So He's looking at, oh yeah, there's one from Kevin. Nope, not today. Oh, Karen. Nope, not today. Oh, Cindy. Yeah, yes. Reply, yes. Is he making a conscious decision each time you request healing from him? And the answer is no, and and in sermons later, we're going to look at that in particular. Why is that answer no? Because see, he's already paid for that. It's already done in his mind. And so, also I'll just say this, remember that God's will does not automatically come to pass. Just because God wants something, just because it's His will for your life doesn't mean it's going to happen. People say, well, God is sovereign. Yeah, He's sovereign, but not in the way that most people think. Right? He's set laws in place. He's set things in motion. And He operates by that set of rules. And so, He's not out there deciding for you in the morning whether you're going to eat Wheaties or Rice Krispies. Right? He's not deciding for you. Now, you could ask Him if you wanted. Is there one that's better to eat? But He's not the one that made you do those things. You chose to do those things. He's not the one that made you sin. Right? You chose to do that. So clearly, it's not His will that you sin. So obviously, His will isn't automatically happening. There's something required of us. In fact, 
Otherwise, it would just be, prayer would be theatrics, wouldn't it? We'd just pray, and it'd be like, well, we don't know why we pray, because He doesn't answer them. He just does what He wants to do anyway. But we're told to pray for a particular reason, because it brings change. So for God's will to come to pass in you and I's life, there are some other factors that come into play. And some of those factors are that we have to cooperate with Him and do what He says, right? So those 11 reasons that we've covered so far, I'll cover them very, very quickly. Those 11 reasons that we believe healing is for today is because God's Word is medicine. Because a strong spirit will sustain you in sickness. These are all directly drawn out from Bible verses. Because of God's original creation, it was designed without sickness and without sin in the Garden of Eden. Also because of heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. And we're supposed to pray, God, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, since there's no sickness in heaven, it means that we can pray that there be no sickness here then. Right? The new creation He's going to make isn't going to have any sickness in it. He said no death, no pain. It's all banished. It's all done. It's all over. Wow. So that's God's will. We also saw that because of the origin of sickness, sickness comes from sin. And God is not the author of sin. So, so He is not the author of sickness. We saw that sickness in particular, we saw many passages about this, that sickness is a work of the devil. It's a work of Satan. And um, then this one, I like this one, because of His eternal name, Jehovah Rapha. The Lord that heals you. Now that'd be a pretty sorry God that couldn't live up to His name, wouldn't it? But He does. He keeps His name. He is God. He cannot lie. And so He is our healer. Reason number eight was because of the covenant of healing. And we looked at that. Now, if you're here new with us tonight, you can go online and listen to each one of these sermons. And we detail from the Bible each one of these, these reasons that we're talking about and covering very quickly. Number nine is because sickness is part of the curse of the law. And in Deuteronomy 28, we looked at that horrible list of sicknesses. And it says in there that every sickness not mentioned in this book, so that means all the ones he mentioned plus all the ones that are new to us today, are all under the curse of the law. But in Galatians 3.13, reason number 10, my favorite reason so far, is Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And so in that curse of the law was poverty, sickness, destruction, death, all kinds of horrible things. But Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And then last week, um, we asked the question, what about Job? And um, we got a lot of positive feedback about that sermon. And so if you've ever had questions, yeah, what about Job? Uh, Go online, listen to the sermon, and maybe those questions will be answered Uh, by the end of that sermon. And that's reason number 11 that we believe healing is for everyone today is because of Job. All right? And um, so so this brings us to reason number 12, which is what we're going to get into tonight. Why we believe healing is always the will of God for everyone is because of the Old Covenant types of redemption. The Old Covenant Types of Redemption. And we're going to look at um, maybe about five of them and see the the types. What is a type? A type is is a symbol of something. It's a foreshadowing of something, right? And so types 
of redemption in the Old Covenant is what we're going to look at. A type points to something in the future. So the question that we keep coming back to is healing included in redemption as part of redemption? Or is it possible that parts of redemption are not for everyone? Does that sound right? Part of redemption is not for everyone. Nope, not at all. The good news is, is that you're just as healed as you are forgiven. Are you forgiven? You're just as healed as you are forgiven. Does that mean you always feel forgiven? Does that mean that, you know, you do sometimes sin and you need to take it back to the Lord, right? And you're forgiven. But just like that, you also deal with sickness in your body at times that you need to take to the Lord. In God's mind, the price has been paid. In Jesus' mind, it's finished. It's already accomplished. Finished. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 10. And 1 Corinthians 10, verse... Now, Paul is writing here, and um, he's going to say some things. He says, but God was not pleased with them. He's talking about the children of Israel out in the wilderness. God was not pleased with most of them, for they were struck down in the desert. Now, these things became examples. Everyone say examples. Examples for us, so that we will not desire evil as they did. Don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to play. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people fell dead. Let us not tempt Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. We'll read about that later uh, tonight. Nor should we complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. We're also going to read about that story. Types of redemption is what we're looking at tonight. So verse 11, <clears throat> now these things happen to them as examples, or the word means types, okay? Types or examples. And they were written as warnings to us on whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. A type or an example is a symbolic picture of something to come. Something that's in the future. A symbolic picture of it. The uh, Living Bible reads this way. All these things happen to them as examples, as object lessons to us. I like that. That becomes real clear. Object lesson, right? To warn us about doing the same things. They were written down so that we could read about them and learn from them in these last days as the world nears its end. So be careful. If you are thinking, oh, I would never behave like that, let this be a warning to you, for you too may fall into sin. So one of the things that we need to guard against is pride. Don't ever look at someone else's sin and go, oh, that's, I would never do that. I mean, it's alright if you say that in faith, don't say it from pride, right? I say things in faith, right? I say that I will never lose my salvation. That's a statement of faith. All right, Not because I'm so confident in my own goodness. I'm confident in the goodness of the Lord right? that redeems me. And so let's, let's keep out of, out of pride. The old covenant that he's, he's talking about these examples is full of types of redemption. And as I already said, that a type 
is something in the Old Testament that is pointing forward to the New Testament, the New Covenant. It's something in the Old Covenant that is, is symbolically representing something that's coming. And um, all the Old Covenant blessings, the healings, the forgiveness, the protection, all of it, the financial blessings, all of these things in the Old Covenant were based on what Jesus Christ was going to do. Going to do. Even though they didn't know. But that's where they were anchored in the future and what He was going to do. For the most part, you know, the readers in, in Corinthians here and other places where Paul was, was writing these letters to, they understood Old Covenant. They understood what was included in the Old Covenant. They understood what sacrifice meant and what this kind of offering and that kind of offering and this sacrifice understood what they all meant, unlike m- most of us today don't. But they understood that, so in, in, in their mind, when he wrote to them, they had a very good understanding of Old Covenant, New Covenant, and of the types and shadows of the Old Testament, how they transferred into the New Covenant. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians while we're right here near it. Chapter, two, uh, chapter 1, 2 Corinthians 1, and let's look at verse 20. For every one of God's promises is yes in Him. So it's talking, the in Him is Jesus. It's the, Jesus is the subject that we've been talking about in the prior verses. So every one of God's promises is yes in Him. Therefore, the Amen is also through Him for God's glory through us. The NIV reads this way, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. They are yes in Christ. So therefore, in Him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. I also like the NLT, for all God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. I like that. All His promises have been fulfilled in Christ. He is the fulfillment of all those old covenant types and shadows that we'll look at today. And then the NLT goes on and says, and through Christ our amen, which means yes, (laughs) ascends to God for His glory. They all said the same thing, right? Yes and amen. So, we know that in 1 John, we're told that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if He hears us, then we have whatever we have asked for. And so, in this way, that's another way of saying yes and amen in Him. Find out what God wants. Discern His will. And then ask for that. Believe for that. And I really want to establish this in your thinking, that there's no blessing, there's none, no blessing past, present, or future, none, except through Jesus Christ. Jesus said it this way, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Psalms tells us the Father is good to all, good to all. Right? And so it's only through Jesus Christ. So this brings us back to our question, is healing part of redemption? You know, we're at, with this question, this is the fork in the road that separates most denominations. Is healing for today or is it not? Well, some believe God can. Some believe God might. Some believe God can't. <laughs> and others believe that it is God's will for you and I to live a healed life. So like I said earlier, you're just as healed as what you are forgiven. Now, whether or not you receive it 
is another story. Okay? There's a different, that's a different sermon. But let's just make it clear, it is God wants you to be well. So let's look at some uh, symbolic representations of redemption in the Old Covenant. And let's go to Exodus chapter 12. And I'm asking the question, I want you to be considering this question through the sermon. Is healing part of redemption in these types that we're going to look at? Is there healing in it? Look for two things, in fact. Look for two things, and we're going to look at five types in the Old Testament. Two things. Look for Jesus, look for healing. Keep your eyes peeled for those things. Everyone say, looking for Jesus, looking for healing. So in Exodus chapter 12, this is at the Passover, all right? The, the children of Israel have just witnessed all these horrible plagues come through the land, and finally their day of rescue is at hand. Now, they haven't been able to read Exodus like you and I, so they don't know for sure what's coming. They just know this is what Moses is telling them. This, Moses is saying, God said, do this. And, and also keep in mind, these guys have not traveled in 400 years. Right? They're not used to packing bags and leaving town. They're not used to going out to the desert to worship the Lord, which is what they were saying they were going to go do. They're not used to any of this. They're, they're not used to giving orders. And yet we see that some things are going to happen here. So Exodus 12, in verse 1, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is, so he's saying, on your calendar, make this the first month from now on. Because it's a new beginning for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's households, one animal per household. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each person will eat. You must have an unblemished animal. Everyone say unblemished. An unblemished animal, a year-old male, you may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. Then they must take some of the blood, everyone say blood, blood, and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat them. They are to eat the flesh, everyone say flesh, flesh. that night. They should eat it, roast it over the fire along with the unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over fire, its head as well as its legs and inner organs. Do not let any of it remain until morning. You must burn up any part of it that does remain until morning. So here we immediately begin to see some symbolic representations, don't we? We see, you know, the lamb, they're supposed to have a lamb, what Jesus is known as the lamb of God, right? So that, that one's pretty simple. Um, the lamb is supposed to be unblemished. We know Jesus was an unblemished lamb. He was without sin, Scripture says. So he was unblemished. And then, of course, there's blood involved. Well, Jesus shed his blood for us. And this blood was put on the doorway. And so it was protection for them. They were saved by the blood. And then there was, of course, the body. And later tonight, we're going to have the blood and the body. And we're going to have communion together, which represents 
the Passover, which represents Jesus, right? And the true Passover lamb. Now let's look in verse 11. Here is how you must eat it. Dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Now understand, in this part of the world, they don't go in the house with their shoes on. You take your shoes off at the door or outside, because that's unclean. So in this part of the world, for them to be standing there with their shoes on in their house, staff in hand, bags packed, ready to go, eating with your free hand, you know, they're ready to roll out the door, everything, ready to go. Now, this here is an act of faith on their part. Like I said, they haven't traveled in 400 years. They don't know what that's about. And so, they, but, but Moses said, God said, do this. And so they're like, all right. So, so they're going to eat it. How does it say to eat it? You must eat it, ready to go. You are to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. Now, think about this for a little bit. Remember, they are damaged from years and years of slavery. They are weakened. They are beaten. They are... I don't know how long their lifespan was under the conditions they were living in. And things had gotten a lot harder recently for them because Moses shows up and goes, let my people go, and Pharaoh goes, dream on, and quits helping, you know, you go out and find your own straw now, and they're beating them and doing all these things to them. So there's probably a lot of damaged, broken, sick people in this crowd of, of Israelites. You know, there was called 600 and some thousand men that were considered soldiers, or the age to be soldiers. So maybe there's two, three million people that are in this group, all right? Older men, and then younger men, and then women and children. So two or three million people, and they're supposed to eat this, and, and what they're, this is supposed to do is give them strength for their journey. The blood saves them on the doorpost, the flesh heals them and gives them strength to accomplish the journey. And let's, and, and, uh, if you would, just put up on the board um, Psalms 105. In the New King James, please, Psalms 105, verse 36 and 37, says this, He also destroyed all the firstborn in their land, the first of all their strength. He also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among His tribes. This word feeble means um, stumbling or tottering or teetering, weak. There was none that came out limping. (laughs) I mean... All the damage that had happened in these previous years of slavery, it's all gone. None of them came out with any of these sicknesses and diseases anymore. And when did that take place? Well, I believe it was when they stood there and ate that Passover meal. The blood saved them on their door, and that meal gave them strength for the journey. Healing happened at the Passover meal. Should that be a surprise to us, considering what Jesus has done? Right? If, you, if you know Isaiah 53, no, that's not a surprise at all. Let's go on down to verse 12 now. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. More symbolism. The blood makes all the difference. It makes the difference between life and death, right? The blood. 
That's what the blood of Jesus does for us. The blood applied, there's no destroyer. Let's go down to verse 22. He says, take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and brush the lintel. Now, hyssop was used as a cleanser back then. Purge me, cleanse me with hyssop, the psalmist said. So here he takes something of cleansing, he dips it in the blood that is in the basin, brush the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out the door of his house until morning. Now this is important. What's he saying? Stay under the protection of the blood. Don't leave the protection of the covenant blood that is being put on the doorpost. Because that's your safety. You know, it's real easy for judgment to fall when we're outside of that. When you leave the protection of the Almighty, when you get out from under His wings, right? All of a sudden you open yourself wide open for the enemy to come in. Here, let's keep reading and look at um, verse 23. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, He will pass over the door and not let, not allow the destroyer enter your houses to strike you. The destroyer. Not allow him in. So they're protected. They're healed. They receive freedom. They're financially blessed. They went out with all the silver and gold. All by the Passover lamb. Healed, set free, protected, financially blessed by the Passover lamb. Which is a type of Christ, the real lamb. Apply the blood and be saved. Eat the body and be healed. Now just remember that a type portrays the real thing. It points to what's coming. So do we see a type of healing in this redemption here? Question, should we expect less from the real Passover lamb than they got from the symbol of the lamb? No, we shouldn't. Alright, let's look at the second type story. Let's go over to Leviticus chapter 14. And this is the ceremony that was required when the leper was cleansed and healed. In Leviticus 14, I'll just begin reading in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, this is the law concerning the person afflicted with a skin disease on the day of his cleansing. He is to be brought to the priest who will go outside the camp and examine him. See, it doesn't say that he brought the sick one into the camp, but he's saying he's going outside the camp. If the skin disease has disappeared from the afflicted person, the priest will order that two live clean birds, say two live clean birds, cedar wood, Scarlet yarn and hyssop be brought for the one who is to be cleansed. Then the priest will order that one of the birds be slaughtered over fresh water in a clay pot. He is to take that live bird together with the cedar wood, the scarlet yarn and hyssop and dip them all into the blood of the bird that was slaughtered over the fresh water. He will then sprinkle the blood seven times on the one who is to be cleansed from the skin disease. He is to pronounce him clean and release the live bird over the open countryside. Now what they would do is they would take the bird and they would tie it to the cedar stick and to the hyssop with the scarlet cord. They'd tie them all together and they would dip the tail of the bird into with the hyssop into, and that, that was their, their sprinkling device. And when all that was done, then they would release the bird, untie it and release the bird. 
All right, what else was supposed to happen? So remember, Jesus knew these rules. He knew the symbolisms of them. And he told the guy that he said, I will be clean. Now go to the priest and and do the prescribed ceremonies and offerings, right? Verse 7, he will then, uh, I read that, verse 8. The one who is to be cleansed must wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and bathe with water, and he is clean. Afterwards, he may enter the camp, but he must remain outside his tent for seven days. He is to shave all his, off all his hair again on the seventh day, his head, his beard, his eyebrows, and the rest of his hair. He is to wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. He is clean. On the eighth day, see, it's like he's beginning a new life. See, when a baby was born on the eighth day, they would circumcise him. That circumcision was covenant. It was covenant, right? Part of that covenant. And so it's like he's starting new life, like new birth, right? I mean, he had a death sentence, and now he is new life. Verse 10, on the eighth day, he must take two unblemished male lambs, an unblemished year-old ewe lamb, a grain offering of three quarts of fine flour mixed with olive oil, and one-third of a quart of olive oil. The priest who performs the cleansing will place the person who is to be cleansed together with these offerings before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The priest is to take one male lamb and present it as a restitution offering, along with the one-third quart of olive oil, and he must wave them as a presentation or a wave offering before the Lord. He is to slaughter the male lamb at the place in the sanctuary area where the sin offering and burnt offerings are slaughtered. For the sin offering, the restitution offering, belongs to the priest. It is especially holy. The priest is to take some of the blood from the restitution offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then the priest will take some of one-third of the quart of olive oil and pour it into his left palm. The priest will dip his right finger into the oil in his left palm and sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. Are you glad it's simpler today? (laughs) From the oil remaining in his palm, the priest will put some on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot, on the top of the blood of the restitution offering. What is left of the oil in the priest's palm, he is to put on the head of the one to be cleansed. So now he's anointing him with oil. In this way, the priest will make atonement for him before the Lord. The priest must sacrifice the sin offering and make atonement for the one to be purified from his uncleanness. Afterwards, he will slaughter the burnt offering. The priest is to offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar, and the priest will make atonement for him, and he will be clean. So I read all of that because I want to point out, just real quickly go down through here, the two birds, you know, they represent, we could look at a number of things, but one simple thing very quickly that we can see they represent is the old man and the new man. The old man is put to death and crucified. The new man is given life, new life. And when you look at the cedar wood, well, what does cedar wood represent? The cross, of course, right? The, uh, the scarlet yarn, that's bondage. They tied it up with it. But then that new life, that bird was set free, set free from the bondage. We already talked about hyssop. That's a cleanser. That's here in this, in this account. Blood and water over fresh water and... Um, you know, dip it and sprinkle all this blood. What, when, remember when Jesus' side was pierced? Blood and water flowed out. Isn't this rich with symbolism? The clay pot. You know, Jesus took on a clay form. Our bodies are called clay in the Bible. An earthen vessel made from dirt. 
And so Jesus became man and took on flesh to redeem us and was put to death in the flesh like that bird was put to death in the clay pot. Of course, the lamb represents Jesus also, doesn't it? And oil represents healing and restoration. Healing and restoration. Go over to Leviticus 25. So all of this is a type of Christ on the cross. Is there healing in this type? Certainly there must be healing in the real thing if it was in the type. Someone say, Jesus is my healer. And my cleanser. Alright, here in, in Leviticus 25 is the year of Jubilee. And remember, we're looking for two things. Jesus and healing. In these symbolic representations of the Lamb that is to come. And so... What were in these types? And down in verse 8, this is the year of Jubilee. We'll begin reading in chapter 25. You are to count seven sabbatical years, seven times seven years. So that the time period of the seven sabbatical years amounts to 49. Then you are to sound a trumpet loudly on the seventh month. On the tenth day of the month, you will sound it throughout your land on the day of atonement. You are to consecrate the 50th year. That's the year they're blowing the trumpet. Dun, da, da, da. Just imagine you being there, being an Israelite, being a slave out in the field, and suddenly out across the countryside you hear that. Trumpet. What's a trumpet mean? Oh, that's the year of Jubilee. You're free to go home. I, I'm what? You're free to go home, you know, to the old place where you grew up. Let's read. Verse 10, you are to consecrate the 50th year and proclaim freedom in the land for all its inhabitants. It will be your jubilee when each of you is to return to his property and each of you to his clan. So here we see this year of jubilee is restoration. We see freedom. We see a reclaiming of things lost. See, what would happen in this year of Jubilee is everything their calendar was based on those 50 years. And so let's say that you got into debt and you couldn't pay the debt. Well, someone could come along and take you and sell you as a slave to pay that debt. So now you're whoever's possession that bought you, right? And so now you're just a slave until the year of Jubilee when you are free to now go back home. And Anytime they bought property, anytime they um, bought slaves, it was always the price was configured to how many years it is until the year of Jubilee when I lose you. <laughs> right? So if you bought a property and it was just one year till Jubilee, it'd be real cheap. If you bought a property that was going to be 49 years till Jubilee, it was going to be more expensive. 49 years of use you're going to get from it. So, if, you, if we would read the rest of this chapter, you would see all these rules and this is how they were supposed to price things out. So, imagine being a slave and being set free. You're restored to your father's property. You're restored to your clan again. You're no longer a slave. There is a freedom and a restoration in the year of Jubilee. Well, Jesus is our Jubilee, isn't He? Yeah. In fact, let's see it in uh, Luke chapter 4, and when you're putting it on the screen, put it in the New King James. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Now Jesus, is He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up. As usual, He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. 
The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. So it wasn't just accident. Right? He, he deliberately found this passage because he wanted to teach something from this passage. And this is what he reads out of Isaiah. It's found in Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. He reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Now, good news to the poor, if you came across a poor person and said, you know, this is God's will for you, you just to be poor, is that good news to them? No, that's bad news. Like, what? But if you told them, hey, you don't have to be poor. There's restoration for you. That's good news, isn't there? All right? So he came to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. See, the problem is poverty. The answer is blessing. The problem is brokenheartedness. The answer is healing. Right? So, any kind of soulish pain, any kind of brokenness in that way, there is restoration and healing for you. He goes on and he, re- he says to proclaim freedom to the captives. Now, once again, he presents a problem and the solution. Freedom. Now, what would be really bad news to a captive? You're going to be a slave the rest of your life. You're just bound up in this forever. What would be good news to him? You are free! Right? That would be really good news. And then listen to this next one. And recovery of sight to the blind. This is healing. Like physical bodily healing now. Blind one day, see the next day. And we have accounts of him healing and opening up blind eyes as he walked around in his earthly ministry. And so here he's the, the good news is, is is you get to see. Bad news would be you're gonna stay blind. That's God's will for you. He's trying to teach you something. You know, he's probably trying to teach you patience because he keeps stubbing your toe and things. It's amazing how many word of faith people, listen to me, will say, don't ask the Lord for patience. As if He's the one making your day go bad. Really? Then he reads this. He says, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the year of Jubilee. So according to what Jesus has to say, he is our jubilee. He, he went on and he, said, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began by saying to them, today as you listen, the scripture, this scripture has been fulfilled. So Jesus himself is, is establishing that I am your year of jubilee. That I am your restoration. That I am your freedom. Right? And I am your good news to the poor. I am the healing and the freedom and the recovery of sight and and on and on. The Lord's favor. We're looking for two things in these types, right? Jesus and healing. Let's, Let's look at another one. Let's go back to Numbers. Numbers 16. This one here is really interesting and we're not going to take the time to read the whole chapter, but if you want interesting reading, you can just take the time to do it at home. Remember Korah, Dathan, and Abiram? Those three guys that led a rebellion. And they decided, you know what? God speaks to us too. 
You're not the only one God speaks to. And they lead this rebellion. Now, they influence 250 other influential men, other leaders, to follow them. So these three guys, they're 250 followers who were influential men. And, And I will say this, be aware of the enemy's tactic. The more influence you carry, the more of a target you become. Because the enemy is after people of influence. So they go and they lead this rebellion. Moses gives them opportunity to repent, but they go, nope, we're not doing it. And so then God says, everybody get back from them. And so says they stood at the door of their tent. And proud, pride will kill you. No humbling themselves. No seeking. You know the Lord as merciful as He is. If they would have just repented, they could have lived. But they and their families and all their possessions are standing at their tent and um, the earth opened up and swallowed them. All Them, their families, all their stuff, their house, everything, gone. It says they went alive down into Sheol, hell. Well, then fire starts flying around. I don't know if there was a lightning storm, but fire come out and, and consumes those 250 men that also had not repented. So now there's just a bunch of smoke and ashes and a bad smell and an earthquake. You'd think that'd be enough for people to come to their senses, don't you think? Let's look at verse 41. The next day, the entire Israelite community complained about Moses and Aaron saying, you have killed the Lord's people. Really? I did it? See, God's judgment allows the destroyer access. When God pronounces judgment, He doesn't have to destroy anybody. All He has to do is stop protecting you and you are gone. Their sin brought it on themselves. Well, anyhow, verse 42, when the community assembled against them, Moses and Aaron turned toward the tent of meeting and suddenly the cloud covered it and the Lord's glory appeared. Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meeting and the Lord said to Moses, Get away from this community so that I may consume them instantly. But they fell face down. It doesn't sound like they got away this time. They're like, we saw what happened to the last bunch. No, Lord, please. Then Moses told Aaron, take your fire pan. Place fire from the altar in it and add incense. Go quickly to the community and make atonement for them because wrath has come from the Lord. The plague has begun. Now we read in Corinthians at the beginning of the service that Paul called that the destroyer. They, they complained and tempted God and the destroyer killed a bunch of them. Well, here the destroyer is out there with plague. I don't know what, what year that was, but maybe it was like, you know, Corona 2. <laughs> We're now to 19, you know. But <laughs> so verse 47, So Aaron took his fire pan as Moses had ordered, ran into the middle of the assembly, saw that the plague had begun among the people. After he added incense, he made atonement for the people. He stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was halted. So here we see the high priest of God is standing between those alive and those that died. And the plague cannot get past the high priest. It stops it right there. Bam. And isn't, do we have a high priest? Yeah. Yes. Do you see healing in this? Do you see protection in this? Do you see Jesus in this? 
Let's go to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3. We do have a high priest, and I want to read a verse or two to you about it. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and companions in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Consider Him. Think about Him. Set your mind upon Him. What does the Word say? If your mind is stayed upon Him, you'll be kept in perfect peace. Right? So, set your mind on Him. Consider Him. He is the Apostle. He is the High Priest of our confession. So what are we confessing? We really need to be saying what He says about us. Let's do that right now. Let's just say a bunch of things. I am loved. I am forgiven. I am righteous. I am healed. I am rich. I am the head and not the tail. I am more than a conqueror. He has made me worthy. Hallelujah. None of that would be available without Him. All through Jesus. Alright, let's go over to um, chapter 4. I want to read one more verse to you on this. Or a couple verses maybe. Verse 14 in chapter 4 of Hebrews there. Therefore, since we have a great high priest. And in the story that we had read, the high priest stood between the dead and the living. But, but here, we have a great high priest. Who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to the confession. And don't start saying other things. I don't know if I'm saved or not. Don't talk like that. That's worse than cussing, man. It is. It is. It, don't, don't bring death over yourself. Verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy. We're going to need it at times, right? And find grace to help us at the proper time. If you ever want to know what is grace, it's God helping you. That's what it is. God helping you. All right, let's, um, let's go to Numbers 21. And we'll look at another example, another type of redemption in the Old Covenant. And what are the two things that we're looking for? Jesus and healing. Now, I said it before. If the symbolic representation in the Old Testament had it, Certainly the real thing will have it then, right? Let's look here um, in verse 4 of Numbers 21. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. But the people became impatient because of the journey. Now understand, they've been out there for a while. Enough time has passed. Aaron has now died. And so they have been out in the desert eating this manna and baking in the sun and for almost 40 years now. So they're good and tired of it. And so the people became impatient because of the journey and the people spoke against God and Moses. You'd think they'd have learned by now. Don't do that. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? Well, half of these cats don't even remember Egypt. But they're just picking up from those that are around them that do remember, right? 
Why have you brought us from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. God's provision, the manna, that tastes like crackers and honey. Right? I suppose if you ate nothing but crackers and honey all day for 40 years, you might get tired of it. Take a while, though. Right? So, so they are complaining about God's provision. That'd be a real good way to shorten your day. Because all, what does God have to do for destruction to come to you? Just lift His hand of protection. And you're free bait for the enemy. For the destroyer to do what He does. Destroy. Well, verse 6, Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people and they bit them so that many Israelites died. And the people then came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that He will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. You think they were really, really grateful there was someone who was willing to make intercession for them. Someone who was willing to forgive them of their complaining against Him and make intercession for them. Isn't this a type of Christ? Moses himself here is the type of Christ. In fact, in, um, in Timothy, it tells us there's one God and one mediator between man. One mediator between God and man. And that man is Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. A ransom for all. In Romans 8, it says it a little differently. It says Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. So this is a type. Right? Intercession. So we see that happening. Jesus makes intercession for us. Let's look down in verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. You know, Jesus talked about this when He was talking to Nicodemus. Remember when He explained to Nicodemus about the new birth, about being born again, and Nicodemus is saying, what are you talking about? And so He explains it to him. And then He makes this statement, and I'll just read it to you in John 3, verses 14 and 15. Just as Jesus is saying, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so, or just like this, the Son of Man must be lifted up. So that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. So what are the symbols here? What's the, what are the types here in this account of the brass serpent and the snakes? and the You know, brass is symbolic of judgment. In the Old Testament, brass was used usually in the form of when they talked about like the skies become brass, meaning it doesn't rain. The Word says it's because of your sin. The sky will be turned to brass. So that's a judgment. So brass is a form of judgment. A type of judgment. A, a symbolic representation of judgment. The snake is symbolic of evil. Right? I mean, isn't that what we know snakes for? You look into the uh, Garden of Eden at the very beginning. Snake shows up. Symbolic of evil. Um, Jesus called the Pharisees snakes. He said to us that we could pick up because He's in us, greater is He that's in us, we could pick up snakes and they not harm us. Now, He wasn't talking about physical snake. He's talking about these evil spirits. That we can be in their presence and not be harmed. 
The snake is symbolic of evil. The pole is symbolic of the cross, of course. A tool of judgment. A tool of death. I know we, we hang crosses around our necks and put them on things. And, and if we'd lived 2,000 years ago, they'd think that's really weird. That you have, it'd be like an electric chair hanging around your neck. Why do, you, why do you have a guillotine hanging around your neck, right? Well, the cross represents something to us. It represents the end of the old and the beginning of the new. It represents judgment to us. Where sin was judged. Where sin was judged. See, Jesus became sin for us. He, be, he was judged for us. Are you hearing me? Jesus was judged for you, just like that brass serpent. And, you know, the devil thought he won. But three days later, everything turned around. So, in this story, go back and put yourself in their sandals. Imagine that you're one of them. You're in the camp, and suddenly, snakes coming out of everywhere. Holes in the ground, underneath rocks, you go into the tent, there's snakes in there. You get up on the bed, oops, snake under the cover. I mean, snakes everywhere. And to make matters worse, I mean, there people are screaming and running and animals are running and stampeding and knocking tents over and, and people are screaming in terror and crying in pain and, and maybe your little ones are already bitten and are screaming bloody murder because they're in pain and dying. And you've got all of this chaos and, and suddenly you feel a sharp pain in your calf. Ah, got bit yourself and you feel venom coursing through your veins and snakes are everywhere. I mean, what would happen if we just released like 78 snakes into this room? Just around the room. 78 copperheads or water moccasins or something deadly. And they start climbing. Y'all, I see people lifting their feet up now. <laughs> And people, I mean, people are running, jumping, getting... Chaos. Chaos. Now here's one of the amazing things in this story. Moses hears from God in the middle of this chaos. Moses has his ear tuned to the Lord enough that in the middle of the panic, in, middle, in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the screams and animals stampeding and all these things happen because snakes are everyone, he receives a word from the Lord on what to do about this. We are never left without our guide on the inside. In fact, Mark Brzee has a great book called that, The Guide on the Inside. You can pick it up on Amazon, I think. So Moses hears from God in the middle of this and he says, make a snake. So he makes a snake. The Amplified in, in verse 9 reads this way, and Moses made a serpent. In fact, put it up on the board if you would. Uh, 21.9, Numbers 21.9 in the Amplified. Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it on a pole. And if a serpent had bitten any man, when he looked at the serpent of bronze, attentively, expectantly, with a steady and absorbing gaze, he lived. The word looked is how most translations just say it. It means to scan expectantly and intently. To, to a steady, absorbing gaze. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't look at anything else. Can you fix your eyes on your salvation? Even in the middle of pandemonium? It's that or die. Fix your eyes. Fix your gaze. Can you do that while 
venom is flowing through your veins. Fix your gaze on your salvation. While cancer is going through your body. Fix your eyes upon Him who can heal you. Paul has a great testimony about being healed from cancer. He fixed his eyes upon his salvation and received healing even in the middle of all the bad reports of everything that was happening to him. Can you fix your eyes on your salvation while there's severe pain racking your body? Or maybe while your little ones are screaming in pain? Becomes more difficult, doesn't it? But it's possible. While you're feeling something slithering across your foot, keep your eyes fixed. Give a good kick, but keep your eyes fixed. Don't look down. Eyes on Jesus. If you'll settle your gaze on your salvation, you'll live. Now, a point of interest about this thing was that 900 years later, they were like burning incense to this bronze snake and worshiping it, and they'd put it in the temple. And Hezekiah came along, King Hezekiah, and he cut it up into pieces and um, called it, he wouldn't even call it, you know, the name, he, he gave it a new name called a bronze thing. It's just a bronze thing. He recognized that wasn't their source. They'd made an idol out of it. Atonement is an old covenant word. It's not a New Testament word, not a new covenant word. King James uses it one time, but it's really a mistranslation. Um, all the other times the King James uses it as, as, uh, in the proper sense. But if we look at Romans chapter 5. No, yeah, Romans 5. Um, it says, We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have now received this reconciliation through Him. In the Old Testament, it was atonement. And atonement means to cover. To cover. See, the, the bread up here is just covered, right? By this, by this napkin. It's covered. It's still there, but it's covered so that you can't see it. That's what atonement did for them. It only covered. But in the new covenant, reconciliation means something different. It's not to cover anymore, it means to exchange. To exchange, a mutual exchange. Okay, I give you this horrible sin. You give me your righteousness. Wow, Lord. A mutual exchange is what reconciliation means. Being brought back into the favor of God. Being able to come boldly to Him. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. And we're going to close here soon. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And let's look down at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Someone say, glory. glory Old things have passed away, and look, all new things have come. Now everything is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. See, religion teaches people that your salvation is based on works. Your good deeds and your bad deeds. And you know, when you arrive at heaven and there's Peter and, and with his scales at the pearly gates and he's going away, you're good and the bad and can you come in? That's not what's happening. That's not how it's going to happen. There's only one way that you get in and that's if your name is in the book of life. Now the size of your reward, that depends on works. But your entrance to heaven is not on your works, 
That's upon, have you named Jesus the Lord of your life? Have you submitted to Him as Master, as Lord, as Redeemer? Let's keep reading verse 19. So He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses, their sins against them. He has committed the message of reconciliation to us. He's committed to us the message of the great exchange. You give Him your sin, He gives you His righteousness. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. See, we, we no longer are representing ourselves, we're representing Him. Ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us, we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Someone say, I am redeemed. I am the righteousness of God. Acts chapter 3. I'm going to read two more places to you and we'll move on to some other things in celebration of what we just are finding here. In Acts 3, in, in verse 16, now you, the backstory here very quickly is that Peter and John are going into the temple and there's a lame guy, crippled guy at the gate and he asks them for money and Peter says that I don't have any of that, but what I do have, I'm going to give to you. And so he reaches out his hand and says, in the name of Jesus, arise, and helps him get up. And the guy goes leaping into the temple, praising the Lord. And he's able to walk, and a crowd forms. They all see this, and they're going, what's going on? And so he begins to tell them what just happened to this crowd. And in verse 16, he says, by faith in his name, his name has made this man strong. Are we talking about physical strength? Yeah, strong. He, he hadn't had all the days like a toddler does of learning how to walk. He'd never walked. He's weak in his legs. His legs are not built to support himself, let alone go jumping around. So the Lord restores not only his legs, but the strength in his legs. So by faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through him has given him, this man, this perfect health, everyone say perfect health, in front of all of you. Well, things get worse for them as they're tell, preaching and telling this testimony. And so they get arrested and taken in. And the next day they're in front of the authorities in a courtroom. And they're answering the question about how this happened. And in chapter 4, Peter says in verse 8, Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, We if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, this word healed is the word sozos, which means saved. It's translated saved many times. It's translated healed as well. Saved or healed. So, But we know that he's talking about physical health. He says, He's talking about a disabled man. If we're being examined today about a good deed done to this crippled guy by how, how he was healed, saved, are starting to see that they're, they're, they're together. There's no separating them. Saved, he goes, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, 
whom you crucified and whom God raised up from the dead. By Him, this man is standing here before you healthy. <laughs> this Jesus is the stone despised of by you builders who has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. Remember, we've been talking about types this whole night. Types of redemption in the Old Testament. Now, is the fulfillment of that type, is there healing, is there salvation, is there redemption in all forms, physical, spiritual, soulish level as well, redemption in all forms, he goes, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be sozos, saved, healed. There is no other name under heaven given to us by which we must be healed. Physical healing. Soulish healing. Spirit born again. All done in the same Lamb of God. All these types are certainly real in the antitype. Right? The fulfillment of the type. Someone say, Jesus is my healer. Jesus is my cleanser. He has redeemed me. I am set free from poverty. I have been redeemed from sickness. Hallelujah. So we're going to take communion here in a moment together. And we know now more than ever what that Passover meal and communion represents. The blood that saves us. The body that heals us and gives us strength. And this is why we take it in remembrance of Him and what He did. I'm going to read to you. Um, ushers, you can come and prepare and uh, start passing it out. I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians 11 what Paul said. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when He was betrayed, Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is My body. This is my flesh, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. See, the cup represents the blood. The bread represents his flesh. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And I encourage you, you know, have your little ones partake with you in this. You wouldn't tell your little one to wait to pray to the Lord until they're saved. Why would we tell them to wait to commune with Him in this way until they're of age of accountability? Right? Because the little ones are saved already. And eventually they will reach a point of accountability where they have to make a decision to stay that way. I want to go on and read here because we talked about this last week. How do we keep from getting judged? Or maybe it was the week before. And he answers it here in verse, the next several verses. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body or the flesh and blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself. Examine ourselves, not, not examine your neighbor. Examine yourself. In this way, in what way? In an examined way. He should eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body or the 
the flesh, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. So they were failing to recognize the healing power that was in the communion table. They were failing to recognize that there's life and strength and health in the bread, in his flesh. And so he's telling them, you know, take it in this way, examine yourself. If there's any problem between you and the Lord, deal with that right now before the Lord. Right? You examine yourself. And then he says this, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. That's good news. This is how to keep from being judged. How to keep the destroyer from having access. Is examine yourself. Live in, a, in an examined way before the Lord. And then when you take the cup, recognize the protection that's there. The destroyer is rebuked. He's not allowed access. He's not allowed. And then don't go out the door and leave that blood behind. Stay in it. Allow that protection to remain. And what do you do if you should find yourself outside those doors? Run back in. Run back in, right? The protection still remains. And then the, the, His flesh, we eat it for our healing. Isaiah tells us that by His stripes, by His wounds, we were healed. We are healed. Peter said we were healed. So there is healing for you when you take that. So what I like to do is I, when I take the cup, I thank Him for making me His child. When I take the bread, I thank Him for healing me. That every price for my healing is already fulfilled and paid. He's not making a decision. Am I going to heal Him? No, I've already provided that for Him. All I have to do is reach out and take it by faith. Believe I've received it and say, I am the healed of the Lord. I'm going to hold fast on to my confession. So if you have your... Maybe I'm ahead of y'all. Do we have anyone that does not have a, a cup or bread? Did we miss anybody? Ah, one left. I guess there's a whole bunch left. So what we're going to do, some of you may have already went ahead and taken it, and that's okay, no problem. What we're going to do here in a moment is we'll take it, but then we're just going to silence ourselves, and I don't mean audibly silence ourselves. If you want to be praying in the Spirit or praying out loud or singing, that's all fine and good, all right? But I'm saying in your heart. Silence your heart before the Lord and allow Him to minister to you. Picture yourself before Him at that throne of grace, worshiping Him. And we've been in this, in our home groups, we've been studying the gifts of the Spirit. And so what we want to start doing in this house is at the end of the sermon, we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to silence ourselves and we're going to give the Lord opportunity to work through the gifts of the Spirit in the body. So if you receive something, um, either just come up or raise your hand um, and an usher will bring a mic to you. And if you receive something from the Lord, go ahead and share it. And this is a house where it's safe to step out onto the water. If you miss it somehow, you're not going to get crucified. The parking lot is paved. There's no stonings taking place. Alright, so it's going to be okay. We're going to help each other. Discern correctly and hear from the Lord and, and, and walk in these things. I mean, how many of you want to see more of the gifts of the Spirit flowing in our body? I mean, I do. And if we don't stop and take the time and listen and wait and say, Lord, is there anything you want to say or do? So, 
let's go ahead and take this and then we're just going to give opportunity for that. We're not going to force it. It's as the Lord wills, not as we will. We're willing. We're ready. I like to take the bread and I break it because He was broken for me and it just helps me remember that. And that by His stripes I am healed. Every cell in my body yields to the finished work on the cross of Jesus, my healer. Then He blessed the cup and He gave thanks. He was grateful that He could make you His brother and sister. He was grateful that you could be part of the family. And His blood saves us. His blood protects us. His blood doesn't permit the destroyer access in you and I's life. So let's take it as children of the Most High. Father, we thank You and we worship You, Lord. Thank You for forgiving our sin, redeeming us. Thank You for washing us clean, white as snow. That You gave us Your righteousness. That You gave us Your life and health. Thank You that You made a way for us to come through to victory. To be the head and not the tail. To be more than a conqueror. We bless You, Lord. We bless You. Father, we just ask that You minister to Your people through the gifts of Your Spirit as You see fit, as You will. We're here. We're willing. We're able. We worship You, Lord. sweet presence of the healing power of God in the room right now wherever you are if there's pain in your body I just would encourage you I call you up front right now come and receive and be healed someone's been struggling with um, uh, that you're thinking it's indigestion or an ulcer God's healing that right now in your stomach since there's some kind of a calcium or a growth in a bone God wants to just remove that right now the healing power of God flow just come forward if there's any pain in your body right now what do you need from Jesus stretch your hands let's let's participate and 
Jesus is here. Quickly come, Karen. Lay your hands on her. Where is he? Is it in any location? Just lay your hands on her chest right now. Let me, let me just. Father, we lay hands on her in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We cancel and annul every work of the enemy right now in the name of Jesus. Let the healing power of God flow. We receive. We receive. We join our faith on behalf of our sister. We're the body of Christ. We receive the healing power of God. No cancer here. This is a cancer-free zone in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Now, that's the power of God on you right now. I, I will be bold enough to tell you I sense the power of God in your body right now. As the pastor taught, you're our confession before our high priest. We are the healed. We are the healed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. What do you need from the Lord, brother? Stomach. Your stomach? Yes. Yeah, There's been a fear associated with that. Yep. Worse than the ailment. That's what the first thing the Lord wanted me to tell you. Yep. You're trying to draw conclusions. So we cancel that fear right in now in the name of Jesus. And we speak to his stomach and his digestive system. And we command the healing power of God and release it now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father God. No fear here in Jesus' name. Oh, we bless you, Lord. Come on, body, let's rejoice. Come on. It's the it's faith of a family. It's the faith of a family. We believe we receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What do you need from Jesus, sweetheart? A lump. All right. Karen, I need you again. Or Jan, quickly. Come. Or Karen, put your hand on her breast. Put your hand on her breast. Right up here, right? Right there. Father, in the name of Jesus. We lay hands on her according to the commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church. And we say and we declare, and yes, in the name of Jesus, we declare she is healed and whole. Now, I speak to this lump and I command it to go. I command it to go now in Jesus' name. And we bless you for it, Father. We bless you for it, Father. Now, just don't move. Just stay in the presence for a minute. Can I tutor your church family? I need your faith. Some of you need to be up on your feet praising God. Some of you, there's, there's faith that is released in this body that's, that's full of, and you know it. <laughs> Come on, everybody up on your feet. Uh, I need your faith. I need your faith. Thank you, Jesus. We, we walk together. We thank you for your healing power, Lord. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the sacrificial lamb. We see the blood. We see the blood. We thank you for the blood that was shed. We thank you for the price that was paid. We thank you we are the healed. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. There's the spirit of victory in this house. There it is right there. It changed. It changed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
What do you need from Jesus? power. I put my faith with hers in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that two will put a thousand to fly, or two, one will put a thousand, and two will put ten thousand to flight. Every attack against her, against her body, against her family, against her life, we cancel it now in Jesus' name. We command this body to respond to the Word of God. We bless you for it, Lord. We bless you for it. We thank you for your healing power in this room. Thank you for your anointing, your precious anointing, Lord. What do you need from Jesus? Your back. Put your hand on her back. Put your hand on her back. Father, in the name of Jesus, we lay hands on our sister according to the commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. Strengthening, reshaping, readjusting, any calcium deposits must go. A, 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 a viscosity, a lean, a suppleness must come into this spine in the name of Jesus. And all muscles and all, all nerves released in the name of Jesus. No more pain. Oh, we bless you for it, Lord. We bless you for it, Lord. Oh, Ramalakahayedo Ramalendre. Thank you for your healing power. Thank you for signs and wonders. Thank you for signs and wonders. And his eye is not dim and his back is not bent. Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. You're not one to overlook. Oh, Lord God, I ask you, Father, for a fullness Ah, uh, yes, a repayment in kind. You said you'd pay back for every good thing we would do. I'm asking for the fullness of the redemption of the blood of Jesus Christ in his body. And any damage done must be repaired and made stronger and must be restored and made better in the name of Jesus. Strengthen. That's what the pastor said. Strengthen by faith in his name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We receive that healing power now. It's His. It's His. He has it now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, let's just lay hands on that in Jesus' name. Can I touch that? It's okay. Father, in the name of Jesus, this tendon, this immobility in this thumb, I speak to it and command it to be mobile. I command whatever here is wrong, Lord, to be made right. You, Lord, are greater than all and you know all things. Heal this thumb in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, be healed.
Father, thank you for your love to us. Thank you for your kindness, for your redemption, Father. Thank you for making us your children, for your healing power. Father, we thank you for your redemption in every part of our life. Someone say, I am healed. I am delivered. I am set free. I'm a child of the King. Now that's what I call a hand clapping, foot stomping good time. Now I want to exhort you as a body a little bit for just a minute before we let you go. You know, we want more of God in our services. We want Him to move by His Spirit. We want to see the gifts of the Spirit flowing in our body. But did you know that those things are not limited to between start and close time? When you come in and you're talking with each other and afterwards, you know, up here downstairs in your time of fellowship, be checking with every person you talk to, Lord, is there anything you want me to do for them? Be checking and because this is where ministry takes place. Let's not regulate God moving to within the open and close time, all right? So who's, who's willing to say, you know what, Lord, I'm here for your glory, not my own. All right, so now we're just going to expect revival to break out. So go in peace, go in strength, go in deliverance in every way, in Jesus' name. Welcome to Church of the Word International. We're so glad that you're here tonight. You know, it's 7.30 this morning. 7.30 this morning. When everybody's asleep. <laughs> or should be. I had three little creatures come up, come in my bedroom and plop themselves on my bed. And they're chattering and I woke up, you know, I'm waking up and I said, all right, if all three of you are here this morning, what is our scripture verse? And we started off saying, this is the day, everybody, that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. So we all started our morning off that way in bed. <laughs> And I said all that because the Lord led me to 118 in Psalms. Great Psalm. Open the gates of righteousness and I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give thanks for you have answered me. You have become my salvation. That is a great thing to thank the Lord for, isn't it? Your salvation. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you, Father. The Lord is good, and he has made his light shine upon us. You are my God. What a great confession to make. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? What? For he is good. His love endures forever. Well, let's stand together as family, and we are truly family here, family of God. And let's thank our Heavenly Father. Thank Jesus for what he did for us, and give him thanks. Hallelujah. Are we ready to enter his gates? We're going to give thanks. Amen. Then we're going to give praise. Then we're going to worship. We thank him because he's good. We praise him for what he's done. And we worship him for who he is. Amen. Hallelujah. You are good. so much. We're entering into a week of Thanksgiving here in America. But Father, we live in a state, a perpetual state of Thanksgiving that you gave your only begotten son, Jesus, your best for me. So you make salvation so personal. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, that he died on the cross, shed his blood, the perfect sacrifice, the sinless lamb, and he did it for each and every one of us that we could be restored, redeemed, delivered, healed, prosper, saved. Saved from the, the kingdom of darkness and live forever and all of eternity with him. He did this all for us. And that's why we, from our hearts, say thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. Our heart is overfilled overflowing with gratitude and thanksgiving to you we love you and bless you and honor you and exalt you and magnify you for who and what you are king of kings lord of lords savior friend redeemer healer you're everything that we need everything that heaven exists is for us today and we're so grateful so grateful thank you so much father how much you love us and one way we do love one another is by one way we do love the Lord is by loving one another so let's turn to one another and share that love that beautiful love of Jesus and the children may be dismissed at this time Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to be with you all tonight. We would like to welcome anyone that's with us for the very first time. So if you're here for the first time, can you raise your hand? Do we give you a welcome? Right there. Welcome to CWI. We trust that the Lord has something to minister to you tonight. All right. Well, if you need a cash envelope for your giving, raise your hand. The ushers will see that you get one. 
and we're going to prepare to return the tithe to the Lord this evening. So I have a question. Why are we doing this? Those of you that attend CWI regularly, you know what's coming. We're going to pass a basket, and I'm going to have some scriptures. Why, why do we take the time to do this? Why do we pass a basket? Why do we give you scriptures that relate to finances and tithes and offerings? and All of that. Because, you know, we don't apologize for that in this house. Because it's the word. It's the word. We're going to give you an opportunity to act on the word. We're going to give you an opportunity to build your faith. You know, it's in the Bible. And we love the Lord. And you cannot separate offerings, the offerings to the Lord from the life of the believer. You just can't. You know, a byproduct of the reborn again spirit is a heart to give. And, you know, the whole kingdom of God operates on the principle of sowing and reaping. The whole thing. That's in Mark 4, if you're wondering what I'm referencing. Mark 4, Jesus said, this is how. Well, what should we compare the kingdom of God to? Well, this is how. And he begins to give parable of the sower. And it mentions that actually several times in Mark chapter 4. And in Luke, um, Luke 6.38, that's a very familiar one, says, Give and it shall be given. And now we know this is not just in the area of material possessions or your finances. It's all areas of life. So don't think we're just getting uh, tunnel visioned here. But it encompasses all areas of life. Now a side note here is tithing is not sowing. All right? You're simply returning to the Lord what he has said is holy and what he has said is is his. So that first part, the tenth of what comes into your uh, possession, that's the Lord's. And I didn't write that. I didn't say that. The Lord did in Malachi. All right. He said, actually, if you view it differently or you don't do that, if you don't return the tithe, you're stealing from him. Now think about that. Stealing from God. So um, that is something separate from sowing. We're talking about sowing and reaping tonight. But we this is super important. This is why I started out saying this. Let's just take a minute here and stop and think. We're doing this because it's important, because it's important to the Lord. You know, what we do with our material possessions, with our finances, it reflects what's in our heart. It reflects love. It reflects honor, um, our priorities in life, all of that. So that's why we do that here. And I would encourage you parents to be teaching your children about sowing and reaping. To teach your children about tithing. Don't wait until they're adults. You know, if you're in the children's ministry department, that is something, um, if we don't have it implemented yet, it will be, that on a regular class time basis, that they will have, the children will have opportunity to put their, um, their monies in, whatever they want to bring. And then we will be collecting that once a month for our sponsor child in Ghana. So it's important that we teach our kids this, just like everything else from the Word. Because we believe in acting on the Word here. Amen? All right, well, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 9. I'm going to read two scripture, two verses in uh, chapter 9, and we'll read 10 and 11. So I said that tithing is separate from sowing and reaping, but tithing is key to your sowing being blessed. 
See, God's interested in you reaping a harvest. You're going to see that here in a minute. He wants you blessed, but we need to give him something to work with. Have you ever felt like you just, or actually been in a place, I know I have, and maybe others have too, where you felt like you didn't have anything to give? You felt like you just, there was nothing. And so, well, no worries. This is great for you tonight because in verse 10 here of chapter 9 says, God, or says he, who is God, who supplies seed to the sower. So, you know, if you're in a position, you know, like, I just need some seed, Lord. Like, I want to sow. I want to give into your kingdom, into your work and your ministries. I need some seed. You know, he says he supplies it. But there's a qualifier. He doesn't supply it for the hoarder. He says he supplies seed to the sower. So if it's in your heart to sow, if it's in your heart to plant, ask him for it. You know, you maybe don't have it, but God will get you started. God will give you something to get this uh, crop coming to you. He's interested in you reaping a harvest. Says he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. So that's the purpose of it. So you're able to be generous which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So don't think, you know, hey, look, once my ship comes in, once I've got plenty and all my things are, you know, once I've got extras, then I give. No, uh uh-uh. you got to get some seed in the ground. This is just a law, a spiritual law that works. And um, if you, like I said, if you don't have seed, you believe God for it, ask him for it. He said he will supply you with seed if you have a heart to sow. So let's take a hold of our tithes and our offerings. Let's return that to the Lord. Father, we're so grateful to you this evening for your goodness to us, for your promises. And Lord, we return the tithe to you with thankful hearts. We return our offerings, give you our offerings. And I just call these offerings blessed. I call them for a good harvest a good crop to the people. And I just thank you, Lord, that you meet every need in this house according to your word in Jesus' name and amen. Amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets and the people will give to God. All right, well, tomorrow night we have the youth and young adults here at the church. So you're part of that. There's no home groups this week since it's Thanksgiving week. And I do believe that we will be finishing up this round of home groups the following week. Uh, we've got CityGate. Um, our local ministry is going to be going out on December 6th, so, so you can sign up to participate in that in the back, in the back lobby. Another couple of things to sign up for in the back lobby. So one is our Christmas, our annual Christmas party. And the sign-up sheet is in the back. If you plan to attend, please sign so we can be prepared. Um, it says here, if we're going to supply the main dish, the CWI church will supply the main dish, but can you bring two dishes, so salad, side dish, dessert? Um, if you're any questions, you can contact Debbie. We are going to be having our Christmas Eve service at 5 p.m. And then also... Um, the next foundations class is going to be starting in January. So if you would like to be a part of that, please sign up and you will get uh, more details that way. All right, well, let's open our hearts to receive. The Lord has something for you tonight.
That will change your life, but your heart has to be ready for it and open to it. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Man, I'm glad every week that I have such a wonderful body to come out and to sit with and to become stronger with. You know, there is an impartation that takes place when you show up in here in person. An impartation that Paul said it this way, he said, you know, he wrote letters and he expected those letters to, to do something to the places he was sending it, but yet he also said that I'm expecting to impart something to you face to face. Something that wasn't impartable, if you will, if that's a word, um, over distance or through their media at the time, which was letters, right? And so I encourage you to, um, whether you belong in this house or another house, but to show up there in person and be strengthened because there is a strengthening in faith that takes place when you're there. You go out stronger than what, what you came in. And if you're in a body that you don't go out stronger than what you came in, then find one that you do. All right? Belong to one that you do. You know, we live in an amazing, extraordinary season of time right now. None of us can say, yeah, we've been through this before. <laughs> There's so much that is, is new to us. And we're not sure exactly in the natural where it goes, but we have an anchor. We have a steadfast surety of peace that we can be hooked onto in the midst of all of it, and we can be confident where we're going. We can be confident of, of the goodness of God in the land of the living, not just uh, the goodness of God once we get to heaven, right? But it's in the land of the living. Someone say, God is good to me. All the time, that's right. I want to um, take a moment because we're coming into a time that, I don't know, maybe we'll see more lockdowns in Pennsylvania. I mean, I know Philly and Pittsburgh and other cities and states like Oregon already have done that again. And I want to just very clearly and publicly articulate our position again on these lockdowns and shutdowns. And we're going to stay open. I don't care what rules, laws, what they make, we're going to stay open. And no matter how bad a sickness, a virus, a threat of death is, I intend on being in this place with the doors open. Okay. Now, nobody here is required to be here. Anyone that comes, you come of your own free will, your own free choice, because you want to be here. You know, at the beginning of, of this whole COVID thing, I told, I told John Fike, you know, I lean on him real strong because he's our worship leader, right? I told him, I told our other cabinet members, I said, you know, um, none of you are required to be here. I relieve all of you of your responsibilities. If you show up, it's because you want to be here, all right? And so one of the things that I want to um, encourage you all in is that now is not the time to back off in faith. Now is not the time to to be trapped in fear. If you find fear or if you're afraid to go out, well then stay at home and deal with that until you can have that licked and then go out, alright? But, but don't be subject to fear. If you find fear, then deal with it appropriately. Don't just say, well, you know, don't give it space, okay? 
And so if you, uh, also I'll say this, if you are sick, then don't come here. Stay at home and call us and we'll come to you. And, and we'll anoint you. We'll pray over you. You know, James says, call for the elders and they will come. It doesn't say show up and go see the elders at the assembly. It says, when you're sick, call for them and they will come. So if you're sick, don't come here and into where you might be contagious to someone else. Instead, call us. We'll come pray for you. And in that way, we can be confident in saying, no, nobody that's you know, been sick has been here and, and no one has to be concerned about that. Are we understood? Yeah. All right. I am so grateful that the Lord planned a way for us to walk in victory. Amen. Let me give a, a uh, short announcement or two. So Pastor Kurt Owen is in Finland right now, and he had, um, when he was here, he talked about having a pastor's meeting, where I forget the number, it was an extraordinary number of pastors that were ready to quit, and how after that meeting, they kept coming to him and saying, man, I was going to quit. I had decided I was going to quit. And then this meeting encouraged them to keep on. Well, that took place in Finland. And um, I, I actually met the, uh, the lead pastors there that had organized it in Paris when I was helping Brother Kurt in Paris at a meeting. And so um, Kurt calls me the other day and he said, you know, this, this uh, pastor couple from Finland their terrible tragedy, 12-year-old son was killed out in front of the church on Sunday morning by the tram. And so, of course, they're devastated. And um, so he immediately was uh, getting on a plane to go over and minister to them and be with them. And so what he told me, he said, if you remember, we gave him an offering when he was here. And he told me, he said, I just want you to know that you guys are directly responsible on why I'm able to go. And so you guys have a part in, in being able, enabling him to do the Lord's work right now and bring comfort to someone that's hurting. So God bless you all for being a part of that. Also, um, I was going to do it tonight after the service, but I'm going to wait and do it next week because this will give... I'm going to, um, after the service next week, set up a video camera and we're going to uh, record a few testimonies of what that meeting, the Love of God Conference, has done for you. Um, any kind of breakthroughs, any kind of victories that that has helped you to walk in. Let's, uh, let's be bold enough to share those. And I'm going to send those to, to Brother Kurt. That way he can show them to his partners. Say, here's what we did in Pennsylvania. And it can encourage others likewise to uh, go on and listen to to that series. So if you have a testimony that you'd like to share, I already tapped to one or two people and asked them if they would. Um, they were telling me, man, oh, you know, this and this happened and it's so amazing. And I'm like, well, would you, would you share that? And so um, come next week expecting to, uh, to be able to do that after the service.